Today's reading is John 17, 20 through 26. John gives us an account of a prayer offered by Jesus. Our reading focuses on the final third of his three-part prayer. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I enjoy the podcast On Being that is hosted by Krista Tippett. Uh, if you don't have something to listen to on your commute, I heartily recommend going on to that podcast, downloading it, looking at some of the things that are offered on there. It's just a very stimulating podcast. And it states its purpose as being, On Being seeks to, and I quote, open up the animating questions at the center of human life, such as what does it mean to be human and how do we want to live? And I recently listened to Krista's interview with Mary Oliver, the often quoted but rarely interviewed Pulitzer Prize winning poet who's now almost 80 years of age. And in this interview, she gave insights into her own life and into her poetry. It was just, it was, it was just a marvelous interview. And in the course of the interview, Krista read some lines from Mary Oliver's book, Long Life. And it caught my attention. Here they are. What does it mean that the earth is so beautiful? And what shall I do about it? What is the gift that I should bring to the world? And what is the life that I should live? And I I actually paused the interview at that point to just kind of reflect on those questions. I asked myself, what kind of answers might I give to those questions? And I ask you the same thing, what kind of answers might you give to those questions? And what might your answers reveal about you? At the least, those lines seem to raise questions about the state of our moral imagination. And so I'd like to begin a conversation with you this fall by means of a series of talks that I hope might spark your imagination to live more fully into life to become more truly human as God intended for us to be and in the process to become more alive to God. That's what I'm hoping that this series and this conversation will do. But having offered that possibility, I think there's a high probability that either you've hit a stale patch of life in the past or you're currently in one. The things that once excited or stimulated you to engage life with passion and vision now perhaps seem routine and dull. Perhaps your work feels routine. 
Perhaps as, as you go to work, you've been asking yourself, perhaps on the way home, perhaps in the quietness before you fall asleep at night, perhaps you're asking yourself, is this all that there is? Is this the best that it gets? Or perhaps your relationships feel superficial. Your friends are well-intentioned, but everyone seems so busy. Or your spiritual life feels dull. Perhaps you've asked yourself, is there more to being a Christian than simply affirming certain beliefs or attending church or getting involved in activities occasionally? I think we were meant for more than this. I think we were meant for more than this. And that's what I want to explore with you in the weeks ahead. And what's my reason for saying that we were meant for more than this? Because I think that God has something more for us. God has something more for us. Something that he wants to do for us. Something he wants to give to us. You see, it's one thing to have your own idea of what it means to be a Christian. But the question is, what is God's perspective? What is God's perspective? And have you asked that question lately? In other words, what does God want to do in your life and in mine and in the lives of people around us, whether it's your spouse or your children or your friends or your coworkers? What does God want to do? And do you have his perspective on that? My answer is this, that God wants to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. God wants to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. He wants us to be like Jesus. Not simply believe certain truths about Jesus. Not simply attend church. Not simply just get involved in church activities, volunteer occasionally. But to really be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. That's what God wants for us. And God gives us this description of what it looks like in Galatians chapter 5. We see a life that is animated by the Spirit. And this series will focus on, on that life that the Spirit wants to animate in us, the type of life that the Spirit wants to produce. And it's described very specifically in Galatians 5, verses 22 to 25, commonly known to people who have familiarity with the Bible as the fruit of the Spirit. So we'll be looking together at the life that the Spirit wants to produce in our lives, in and through our lives, together. And the series is titled, Transformed into His Image. So this morning I want to lay a foundation by unpacking this question, what does God want for us? What does God want for us? And the emphasis is upon what does God want for us? And my approach is simply to let you hear the words of God from Scripture as opposed to a lot of my own explanation. So this morning, I'm hoping that as you're, if you're listening right now, that you will realize that one of the things that you can do right now is that whenever you hear Scripture this morning, let it hit you. Receive it. And even if you've been a Christian for a long time, I think there's a possibility that the Spirit might want to ignite, reignite your vision of what it is that God wants to do in your life. I don't know about you, but I've, this has been really stimulating for me because as a Christian, I often find myself, myself to be at, at places where life does get dull, it does get routine, and I ask myself, you know, is, is this all there is? And yet I, I find the Spirit of God continually comes and wants to renew us and wants to bring us afresh to the, a realization of what it is that, that God wants to do, and He has so much more for us than we could ever imagine. 
And so I'm hoping that our imaginations will be, will be peaked afresh in a fresh way and, and that you'll allow God's words to wash over you and to refresh you. So I want to begin not in Galatians 5, but in another letter written by Paul. So if you have a Bible, turn to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians, or excuse me, Colossians 1, not Galatians. Colossians 1, it's page 983 in the blue Bibles underneath your seat. Colossians chapter 1, another letter written by Paul. And we're going to look at verse 19 specifically. It's just a statement, a very clear statement by Paul. And he's talking about Jesus, and he says in verse 19, For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Let me say that again. Read it again. For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now, if you've read the Bible before, you're probably familiar with that verse and with those words. But Paul is not alone in stating that idea. John says in John 1, 1, says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he comes along in verse 14, and he says, The Word, God, became flesh in Jesus. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 19, that God was in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Paul says Christ is the image of God. Jesus said, I and the Father are one, John 10.30. He said, the Father is in me and I am in the Father, John 10.38. He said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father, John 14.9. The writer of Hebrews says, Jesus radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. Hebrews 1, 3. So when Paul says in Colossians 1.19 that all the fullness of God was in Jesus, he's simply saying what these texts that I just read to you and many other texts in the New Testament are saying about Jesus and God. That God and Jesus are in a profound and mysterious union with each other. But there's something equally mind-blowing, having established what I just attempted to do there. Because along with this claim, Paul prays for followers of Jesus using very similar language. So turn backwards to Ephesians 3 and verse 19. That's page 977. Paul uses very very similar language to what he uses in Colossians 1.19 to describe Jesus' relationship to God. Look at Ephesians 3 verse 19. We're breaking into a prayer of Paul on behalf of the followers of Jesus. And he prays in verse 19 that they might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. There's that language of the fullness of God again. On the one hand, he says that in Jesus we find the fullness of God and now he's praying for followers of Jesus that they might be filled with the fullness of God. So notice that. Paul is praying that followers of Jesus might be filled with all the fullness of God. He seems to be praying that we would be like Jesus. But he's praying very specifically here, and and he's, he's very focused here, in that he's saying that we're intended to have something similar to the relationship Jesus has with God that's part of our true humanness in the image of God. 
And Paul proceeds to amplify on that in other ways in this letter. Look at Ephesians 4, 13. He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He's saying that this is God's intention for us is that we might mature and that maturity might be toward the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So there's that language of fullness again. And then in verse 15, he says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. He tells the, the Christians in Corinth, if you want to turn back to 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18, a very um, familiar passage perhaps to many people. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 18. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. He says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. See, Paul is telling his readers then and now that God's design for us is that we would be like Jesus. He first begins with what Jesus, this relationship Jesus has with God, and then he says that we're intended to, to be like that, and we're intended to share in that relationship. We're intended to share in the fullness of Christ who shares in the fullness of God. I don't know if, if, you're, if you're tracking with me right now, that completely changes the perspective on what it means to be a Christian. If, if for you a Christian is is someone who prays a prayer, affirms certain beliefs, attends church, is a moral person, and is known by doing certain activities related to the church, that is way too low. It's no wonder, if this is the case for you, that your spiritual life feels dull. It should feel dull. Because we were meant for so much more. And it's here in the text of Scripture. And like the infomercials say, but wait, there's more. It's not just Paul who makes this claim. Peter does too. In 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4, just listen to these words. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire, that you might become partakers of the divine nature. Seriously. Do you believe that? Do you have that expectation that when you came to Jesus and you said, I'm going to trust you to, to now steer my life in the direction that you want, because after all, you're the one who created everything. You're the one who's given me my first breath, and you will know when my last breath is as well. So therefore, I think that I probably can trust you more than I can trust most everybody else in the world. When you did that, did, you, did anyone tell you, oh, guess what? You have now entered into the track to become a partaker of the divine nature. I, no one told me that. I thought that might have been a little bit appealing. Rather than to go for years thinking that what my goal was to do was to try to be more moral than about six other people I could find around me. That's amazing stuff. 
John says it too. In 1 John 3, 2, he says, Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we, wa- what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. We shall be like him. Thank you, Steve. For we shall see him as he is. We will be like him. He's saying, you know what? Down the road in the future, when you finally come face to face with Jesus Christ, that is going to be the culmination of what this whole life was intended to be, and that is to become like Jesus. It's to become like Jesus. To look like Jesus. Now here's my question. Where did all of these people get this idea that we were meant to be like Jesus? I mean, I've read you all these other writers whose, whose letters are included in, in Scripture, but how did they get this idea? Well, look at John chapter 17, and in John 17 you see that Jesus prayed this prayer. He prayed this. This very idea, he prayed it. In John 17, verse 20. Esther read it this morning, but perhaps when you have a context, you begin to look for something. Look at John chapter 17, that's page 903, verse 20. Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, and he's talking about his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You know who that is? That's me. My name's there. And if you've believed in, in Jesus because of the disciples' word, then you can, you can say that you're in there too. But notice what he prays, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. So notice, first of all, that Jesus is praying for us. You know, that's, just, that's mind-blowing. That's this, whole, this whole thing is just mind-expanding. Jesus had me, he had you in mind before we ever had him in mind. So if you're wondering about whether Jesus can be trusted to take care of you, guess what? He was praying for you before you even showed up on the planet. He, he was praying for those who would believe and trust in the disciples' word. And if you're one of those people, then you can say that he was praying for you back in the garden. That is really, really good news to know that we were on his mind back then. But when Jesus prays, as I read to you, when Jesus prays that they might all be one, he's not praying that we might all get along in church and not fight with each other and create church splits and give Jesus a bad name. That's how I interpret it for years. I interpret it as it was all about church unity there, and that's what he was talking about. But if you read the text carefully, verse 21 says that they may all be one. Notice the words, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. The unity that he's praying for is one that is illustrated with his relationship with God. He's praying that we might enter into that type of relationship. So Jesus is praying that you and I would live in a similar kind of relationship with God that he has. Whoa. Whoa. He is praying that you and I would experience the kind of relationship that he has with God. See, Jesus is revealing that 
It's God's purpose for us to experience this loving union with God that he experienced here on earth as a human being. And that means it is not some kind of super spirituality. And if you're about ready to do that mentally and say, no, that's a special category because of who Jesus is, I disagree. Because Jesus is praying as someone who is the image of God, as someone who is fully human, just as we are. And so this relationship that Jesus has with God, he he shows us what it means to be truly human in the image of God. And we see this in Jesus. We see what it means to be truly human. My friends, if there's one thing that I could ask, I, I, I would urge you to think about changing, and that is where you get your view of what it means to be human. Do you get it from TV, from the commercials, from, the, from magazines, from the stories that your friends tell after the weekend, from the models that our, that our culture puts up, from the sports heroes to the Kardashians to whoever it might be this week? And you know, we get bombarded with that, and it becomes, after a while, it, you just get pressed down, and you begin to perhaps feel like, well, I have to aspire to, I have to sort that out and somehow aspire to something that our culture puts out there to be human. And all the time, Jesus is saying, no, look at me. Look at me. I'll show you what it means to be human, to be fully alive, to be truly human, because I was what you were meant to be like all along. So at this point, it might be easy to limit what I'm describing to some type of private experience that's for our individual benefit, but Jesus challenges that. He says there's a bigger purpose for this. Again, John 17, verse 21. He says that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us. Notice the words. Look at the text. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. And then verse 23, I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Wow. 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 You see, as we experience this relationship with God that Jesus intends for us to have, It results in God's presence touching the world through us. See, Jesus has brought us into this relationship with God not simply for our own benefit, but our lives are meant to touch the world with God's presence, with God's healing, liberating, transforming, restoring, forgiving, loving grace. Jesus wants us to be people whose everywhere we go, God's presence just leaks out of us. His life leaks out of us and spills over on other people. You see, your friends and mine are not going to believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead and is alive and active today through his spirit because we Christians have good theology 
because we can attract large crowds on Sunday or we can offer great programs. Jesus says the world will be convinced, according to this text, by our transformed lives. As we are like Jesus. And they'll be convinced by the reality, they'll be convinced about the reality of Jesus, not simply by what we announce, what we pronounce, but by the way that we live. It's both being and doing. Both of them are important, so I'm not diminishing one and prioritizing one over the other. It's both. So in the weeks to come, I hope to give you a vision for what God wants to do in and through you and me and us together, okay? Hope to give you a vision for this, to raise your imagination. And we'll, we'll look together at the transformation that the Spirit wants to produce in us. And so it'll be both being and doing. So just very quickly, please don't hear this as, so Lou is going to tell us to, how to try harder to be more moral. That's not what I plan on doing, okay? So please don't hear that. Or uh, if I follow certain rules, I'll be a good person. Because all that perpetuates all these six steps to a better you approach that's in our culture and sadly is in most churches today. This is about the transformation that God is committed to doing in our lives. God is committed to transforming us through Jesus. Why? Because He loves us. Because he loves us. In John 17, verse 23, it says, I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. The world is supposed to know in the way that we live that God loves us like he loves Jesus. I'm sorry, I need like five minutes just to sit down and think about that. That's amazing. See, our transformation flows out of God's unfathomable love for us. And so my question is, do you, have you settled that? Have you settled that? Does God really love you? Not just tolerate you from a safe distance? So you have to be convinced that he's for you and he has your best interests in mind. Otherwise, you won't welcome his involvement in your life. You'll tend to view it as intrusive or even worse, as punitive. I think a lot of people that call themselves Christians keep God at a safe distance because they fear that if he gets too close, it'll just be to punish. Or at least he won't be happy with them. But does God really love you? Can you hear God's voice say to you, I love you, fill in your name. That's vital. Because this transformation comes out of God's unfathomable love for us. My question to you is, do you need to hear that afresh today? Before we go any further, that God really loves you. I want to give you an opportunity to hear that today. Uh, Michael's going to come back up. You want to go ahead and move up, Mike. And they're going to sing a song over us of God's love. And I'm going to invite you to stand. And what I'm going to invite you to do is to, if you would want to join me down front, we're going to allow Mike to sing that over us. And then after that, I want to pray for you that you will experience 
God's love for you in a fresh way. All right? So if you want to join me down here just, to, just as a way of acting on that, if that's something you want, and then I will pray for you afterwards very specifically. So let's stand together. And if you want to join me down here, please do that while he's singing. All right? Those of you who have joined us up front, just move in a little closer. And I want, I, want to, I want you to do two things. I want you to put your hand, one hand on the person next to you. I want you to take the other hand and put it right over your heart. Right over your heart. Because that's the place where God wants you to feel his love. To warm your heart afresh with his love. God loves you. He loves you. He wants you to experience his love afresh. Receive his love now. Let him fill you afresh through his spirit. Let me pray for you now. Father, in the name of Jesus, and through your spirit who is present with us now, wash afresh over us with your love. Renew us, fill us, remove the obstacles that would cause us to doubt the lies of the enemy who would tell us that we are not worthy of your love. Father, overwhelm us. Overwhelm us with your love. Warm our hearts right now with your presence. Heal us. Renew us. Transform us by your grace. I pray this for each of these people who are up here who've come with open hands and open hearts saying, I need this. I want you. I want your love, Father, afresh. We ask this because you are gracious, you are merciful, you are patient, and you are faithful. In your name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated.